balance of chasing the dark. Now, from my perspective, in the beginning, I, was, I thought of it as like a physical sense. Like, who, how many of us can agree that in today's society, um, everybody is, it seems like we're always fighting for more daylight. That it seems like the dark, the, the physical dark, is always chasing us. We're constantly trying to get as much done in a day, be as, much, as productive as possible, and we're trying to make the day last as long as possible because time is money. That's what society tells us. But I see um, a very similar approach when we talk about spiritual darkness. I don't know if anybody else has done this, but I have. Don't raise your hands. But how many of you have lived your life just waiting for spiritual darkness to come to you? I do. I've done that. You're just like, because the dark's scary. <laughs> I don't want bad things to come my way. Who does? Who wish, who's sitting up at night like, man, I wish something bad would happen to me. <laughs> Luckily, that's not what we're going to talk about, because we're talking about chasing the dark to eliminate the dark in a good way. So at first glance, it didn't make much sense, because the dark's scary. Uh, I don't want any problems in life. I want things to be easy. I don't want them to necessarily be hard. The problem with this is if we get so used to waiting for the dark to come to us, we have no clue what to do when it arrives. And it will arrive. That, that's the thing. The dark is inevitable, as Thanos would say. <laughs> it's going to come, and you're going to go into trials, and you're going to have all these tribulations. It's just life. Nobody can live a perfect life, and nobody can get away from those except for Jesus. Amen? The trick to understanding this, too, is understanding that the dark is real. Spiritual darkness is real. Bad things are real. The dark is not something to play with or mess around with. This is something Brett um, tried to really nail home last week is the dark's not something to like mess around with and go play with and entertain in your mind because it's real. It's real and it's out to harm you. Jesus tells us, this is Jesus speaking in John 10.10. There's no slide for this, Jacob, so sorry to juke you. But he says, the thief, which is referring to the devil, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Then Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and life abundantly. Now, I don't say all this to scare you guys like the dark's coming for you. But at the same time, I just want, it, want us all to be on the same page that we do have an enemy and his goal is to harm us or bring us down or send troubles into our life. His goal is for you to get a flat tire and start cussing on the side of the road. That's his goal. That's not the reaction we should have, but being vulnerable, that's the reaction that a lot of us would have. So, with that being said, with the definition of the dark kind of out of the way, we're not, uh, which is why we chase the dark to eliminate it. We're not chasing the dark to play with it, to go and entertain these thoughts. We're going to it to get rid of it. Brett used the analogy last week of if you're running through your house with all the lights out. First of all, <laughs> kind of weird. But if you do that and you turn on a flashlight, the second when you're running around the house, where everywhere you are is lit. <laughs> is lit. Because you, ha you have the flashlight, okay? But if you put the flashlight under a blanket and then you run around, you're just running around aimlessly and you're bound to knock yourself out on a door frame or something. <laughs> Not speaking from experience. Don't ask me about it. So, <laughs> just kidding. I've never done that, I promise. Uh, the great news is we don't need to worry about this because we're living in the light of Jesus. Amen? We already know the ending of the story. We have all the, the spoilers. Jesus won. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that's a fatty amen. That's our, that's our reassurance. We don't have to worry about any of this because it's already been won. 
We just have to walk in the power that we already have. I know that's a lot easier said than done, but like Brett said last week, the trick is simply understanding that if I'm in the light, wherever I go, the light has to flee. Bless you. (laughs) The thing is, one statement that's been stuck in my head that I, I wrote down is, Darkness can only thrive where there's no light. We got to be the light. Now, <laughs> I'll get into my message. That was just the intro. So, <laughs> all right. I took, I, took a, I took some notes from Brett, and this thing's 10 pages long. So, strap in, folks. Just kidding. I promise it won't be that long. Just kidding. It might be. So, <laughs> like I mentioned, we're in a series called Chase the Dark. And this dope graphic Brett made for us. And we're basing this series off the armor of God. We find the armor of God kind of um, broken down and explained by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 11 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the, the screen. Look at that. Jake's just so good at that. So it's on the screen, and I'll read it right here too. So, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil... For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not part of it, the whole armor of God, and you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. <laughs> all right, so what does all that mean? Why, why are we talking about armor and then we're talking about characteristics, like this doesn't make any sense. Luckily, I have two things that could help us kind of understand that. First of all, or three things, I guess, if I add this one in, I just thought of this on the top of my head. So every day, we're supposed to walk with the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Now, a little backstory here. These are the two things that I want to say about this. There's Two reasons this is described as armor, I think. And also, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out to Costume City and buy some, go look for the armor of God. Unless that will help you remember this, <laughs> then run it. I don't care. Walk around like a knight all the time. That would be tough as nails. But <laughs> I'm just saying that's not necessary. The two reasons I think Paul um, defined this as armor is because, first of all, historically, in the Bible times, it was very common for... Um, Roman soldiers to be walking around on patrol, on guard, in full armor all the time because they're ready to throw hands at any moment, you know? So they're walking around in full armor. So I think the, the most historically accurate point to that is Paul knew that the people he was writing to would understand the armor because they saw it everywhere they went. So they'd be like, oh, we've got to wear these things like the Roman soldiers who were known as like the superpower of the time. They would do whatever. They were kind of in charge, roaming around. So, that's the one thing. The second one I have, the second reason I feel like Paul uses um, armor as a definition and not the clothes of God, but he calls it the armor of God, is because this is a real war. 
This isn't the clothes of God, it's the armor, because we as believers in Jesus have an enemy. We're not just here willy-nilly and just doing whatever. We have an enemy that's really out to get us, like I explained. Like I also explained, we could be okay with that, because we already know who won. Amen? So, I'm talking about the breastplate of righteousness tonight. What does it mean to put on the breastplate of righteousness in my daily life. Last week, Brett talked about the belt of truth, how we have to strap on the belt of truth and hold our weapon, the Bible, as true. Everything that the Bible says has to be true, and it has to be our foundation. To be able to do any of, any of the rest of these, the Bible has to be the foundation. That's why the truth is so important. So, I'll tell you a few stories. So, I already told my little brother I was going to tell this one, and it does not shine the best light on me. So, I'm sorry to myself because this is going to hurt. Roast me if you want. So growing up, uh, I have the one little brother, which is my brother Zach. He was playing drums tonight. For those of you who don't know, we're brothers. And I made a lot, of, a lot more unrighteous choices with him than I made righteous ones. Okay? So um, he said, yep. So growing up, I'm not going to lie to you. I'll be 100% honest. I was kind of a jerk. I was the older brother. We're only 17 months apart, so a little under a year and a half, and I let that kid know. I'm not lying. I let him know that I was older than him. Yeah, Nate clapped. He said, heck yeah, brother. So that was the area I struggled the most. I was pretty good with most people, but when it was my little brother, it's all hands at all times. We're we're fighting. So um, we're only 17 months apart, like I said, so that led to us being extremely competitive. Me and that homie, anything was a competition. We both played hockey for a long time, so we had, like, these mini nets in our house. This story's not even on there, but if that kid beat me, he's getting punched. That's just how it goes, you know? That's just a sibling thing, I think, partially, but also it was definitely <laughs> to my detriment. But the main story, this is the one I told him that I was going to tell because it was very unrighteous. Don't ever do this, okay? So, so my dad's laughing back there, too. He said, oh, bro, I know where this is going. So one time, my whole family... Like my grandparents, my cousins, my aunt and uncle, and everyone. We were all, we rented this big like Airbnb house in Lake Tahoe, right? And we're chilling, and our bedroom was four, three of us stayed in there. It was me, my brother, and then um, my younger cousin. His name's Sean. And we were all vibing, right? Our bedroom had a foosball table in it. Everybody know what foosball is? All right, dope. So it's like mini table soccer. That's a vibe. I was probably like, 14 years, years old at this time, so Zach was probably 12 or 13, and playing foosball just gets me riled up. I was getting hyped, you know? I'm, like I said, I'm very competitive. So we're playing. It's in our bedroom for once, so it's 2 in the morning, and we're slapping the thing around, and the whole house is like, oh my, please go to bed. Are you guys kidding me? But <laughs> we didn't get any complaints about that. We got complaints about this next part, but not about that. So this house had a foosball table in our bedroom. The whole family was there. But for some reason, I can't remember what happened, but the whole family left the house. And it was just uh, the three boys, me, my brother, and my little cousin, Sean. And Sean was being the angel child at this time. He was sitting on his bed on his Nintendo Switch just playing Mario Kart or something. And he was being an angel compared to me and my brother. We were playing foosball. And we were were getting loud, okay? If you guys know... um, me and my family, I'm loud. I like to yell. I like to play a lot. Some people are nodding their heads. Thank you. And <laughs> yeah, I'm talking to you, Mia. So needless to say, we were playing, and I was winning like nine to four. I was absolutely bodying Zach. I, I, I was straight taking it to the house, right? 
But what happens? Yeah, I lost. He scored six straight, and I only needed one. And I, when I was winning, trust me, I was letting that kid know. I was like, dude, you're garbage. You should never play this again. Like, just stop. That, that's the first problem. I was not humble in the slightest. I'm not proud of that now, so I'm being, I'm being kind of serious now. That, that was not the way to handle that situation. But everybody's been there. So, I mean, I, at least I hope I'm not alone. I'll go cry later if, if I am. But um, <laughs> he came back and he won, and then he let me know how big, much of a jerk I was for yelling at him and then letting him beat me. And I was like, man, this is horrible. So what did I do? I did the thing any older brother would do. I picked him up WWE style and body slammed him <laughs> onto the floor. <laughs> I'm laughing, recreating it in my head, but I picked him up and I straight, boom, I straight chucked him, not even lying. He probably went like four feet because he was little. He's still little. He's a skin and bones. So when he was 13, imagine that. I just picked him up and tossed him. And then <laughs> it was, it's not funny, guys, but it was really funny. So... <laughs> I picked him up and chucked him. Not my proudest moment. Definitely not righteous or justified in the slightest. Okay? I felt horrible. You know, you guys ever done something bad like that? And the second you do it, you're like, oh, no. Why did I just do that? That was the dumbest thing, the dumbest possible choice I could have made. That was me in that moment. Because, for one, I just hurt my little brother by chucking him on the floor. It was kind of funny in the moment, but I felt horrible. And then, secondly, I was like, I know this kid's going to tell my parents. I know it. There was a 100% chance that he's going to tell my parents. So I was like, I'm just getting lasered two ways here. First of all, he's hurt and mad at me. Second of all, my parents are now going to be mad at me. So life was just, it could have been better <laughs> at that point. Overall, not a good idea. And the main point of that is that did not shed a good light on my relationship with Jesus. How can you go body slam your brother and <laughs> then be like, well, God's good, bro. I'll pick you up, though. It just, it's kind of harsh to do that, you know? He's like, dude, do you even believe what you're saying? You just body slammed me, dog. So that was the first problem. Uh, however, that was the first story. Give it up for Zach getting body slammed. All right. Praise God we're close brothers now and we don't do this anymore. We still argue, but I don't body slam. Haven't since then. I don't think. He can, he can tell you if that's a lie or not. I can't remember. But however, I've had some good moments too. I'll brag on myself for like two seconds, because that's about all I have to brag worth. But I used to play hockey competitively, like, I'll, like in pretty high-level leagues. And so one of the main tactics was just getting in people's heads. Like I would just talk trash to everybody I met. It didn't matter if they were 6'4", 240 pounds. I was telling them they're trash. First of all, I could get dropped by that kid, but I didn't care. I was just telling him how bad he was, even if he was way better than me, because that's just what you do in sports. For those of you who've played, you just you got to let them know they're trash, even if you're winning. So I was just a guy trying to get under everybody's skin, trying to be the, be the mean kid. And then that also was shedding a pretty unrighteous, bad light on my relationship with Jesus. And at this point in my life, I was kind of like the two-sided person. Sunday, Wednesday, I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Oh, I'm crying. Great. But then throughout the whole week, I'd go to hockey practice and just murk kids. Like, it was nobody's business. I would just hit people, tell them they're trash. I was, I was, def I was the definition of, wow, this guy's Hannah Montana, double life in it, right? So um, at that time, I was not chasing the dark. Your boy was just in the dark. <laughs> My light was under a basket, and at that point, I was just running into everything. And I had no repercussions or no fear of the repercussions did have repercussions. I just didn't care at that point. 
But then, luckily, I had a come-to-Jesus moment. It was at church, and I was like, man, I've been doing some stuff wrong, you know? And I really prayed about it, and I just God led me, and I was like, I'm going to be different this year. Unfortunately, it took until the very end of my hockey career for me to decide this, but um, I decided at the very end, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a different person out there. I'm not going to trash talk once. In fact, I'm going to be so nice to people that that makes them mad. <laughs> Amen? If you, if you guys have been there, that works. Like, I'll tell you this story. So I, kids would skate past me, and they'd be like, dude, you're trash. And I'd be like, yeah, man, you know, it's not been a good game for me. You're right. And they're like, bro, what? And like, why'd you say that? Or they're like, dude, you're garbage. And I was like, dude, I hope you have a great day tomorrow. And these kids are like, what's happening? Because the hockey community for where I played was pretty small. Like, everybody knew everybody. So I was known as the kid who would always talk trash. But then I, when I stopped that, everybody was like, what happened to this kid? He's being nice. <laughs> First of all, that's a terrible thing to be said about you. Wow, they're finally nice? You don't want that to happen. So just skip all these steps and just be nice now. That's a little life hack for you. But someone would scream all that, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, you're right. I'm trash. Then, um, let me tell you, that throws people off, like I was saying. People then, soon enough, you have people coming up to you after the game, and they're like, dude, what happened? True story. People have done that. They're like, dude, what? why are you, like, nice now? <laughs> Which kind of hurt, because I was like, man, I thought I was just joking. But at the same time, I was like, man, I guess your actions and your words do have consequences. That's proof. Even if you don't think they do, people hear you, people listen to you, and people take what you say to heart. So I was that kid who was always picking fights, then bam, what happened to you? Perfect time to plug the gospel. Oh, uh, you know this Jesus guy, he's pretty sick. Um, he, he changed my life, man. And half the time, they'll be like, dude, that's super cool. Like, can I get in on that? And the other half the time, they'll be like, dope later and never talk to you again. Hard truth, hard reality. But the, the important thing there is people noticed a difference, and the difference was positive. Righteous living changes the way we see the world, and it also changes the way people view us. At the end of the day, it will attract the kind of people you want yourself to be around for the long haul. Who you are is who you will attract. Amen? Last week, Brett talked about the belt of truth. We kind of just went over this. He explained that in order for us to be effective in chasing the dark, we need to have a foundation that's built on grace and truth. Not grace only and truth only, but both of them together. Amen? The belt, the belt is there to hold everything in place as well as hold our weapon, the Bible. This week, I want to talk about the breastplate of righteousness. First, I took, uh, I took a play out of Brett's personal playbook, and I looked up what righteousness meant so you guys don't have to. Excuse me. So, righteousness means the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Google. End quote. <laughs> so, righteousness means that we not only do the right thing, we treat people the right way, we do the right thing even when it makes no sense, and we follow Jesus because he is the way, truth, and the life. So why is righteousness attached to the breastplate? That's one question I asked. The belt of truth made sense. Like truth, the belt holds up your pants. The truth holds up your whole life. The analogy made sense. So I started thinking when Brett told me what I was going to preach about, I started thinking and I was like, what does the breastplate do? Well, in its literal sense, the breastplate protects what? Your torso 
and your chest and all this, right? Think of it as like the medieval version of a bulletproof jacket in today's terms. So that's what the chest plate or the breastplate did. So I have the one main purpose of the breastplate I want to share with you is the breastplate protects your heart, a.k.a. righteousness protects your heart. Now, how does that, how does that work? What does that even mean? Like, righteousness protects my heart? Like, this, this sucker's still beating. So um, what's the most important artery that a breastplate covers? Your heart. It covers tons of stuff in here. Your lungs are in here. They're covered, all that. Lungs, kidneys, all that's covered. But the most important thing that you can't live without is your heart. The Bible stresses this tons of times, the importance of a healthy heart, not physically, but spiritually. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, most famously, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs was written by Solomon, who was widely regarded as the wisest man to ever live. And his, his meaning of the word heart there, guard your heart, wasn't wear a breastplate everywhere you go and wear armor. His meaning was referring to the heart, more of the core of a person. This included a person's thoughts, feelings, desires, and choices. So when I'm telling you to guard your heart with righteousness, I'm just saying check your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, and your choices. Do a little self-reflection and just check, hey, was that the, was that the right thing to do? Did the way I just treat that person reflect Jesus? The way I talk and think, does that show Jesus at all times? Amen? Righteousness can also not be justified by our own opinions either. That's a really important thing. I can't do something to somebody. I can't punch Zach like I did or body slam him like I did that one time and say, yeah, that's justified because I felt like it. That can't be the standard. Our decisions need to be justified through the Bible because that's what we regard as truth. And also, true righteousness needs a standard. And like I said, it can't be your own. That standard needs to be Jesus. Amen? Living a righteous life and sticking up for your friends when they get picked on is one, one way you can do it. Righteousness is not even easy sometimes. It's choosing to do what is right even when it hurts. Like that example when I was playing, playing hockey and I started to change my mindset and I said, you know what, no matter what people say to me, I'm going to be nice. That's really hard. Put yourself there in life. Kids are making fun of you at church, and you, you have to say, or at church, at school, hopefully not at church. I'll fight anybody. Just kidding. But if people are making fun of you at school or at work or something like that, and you have to decide, am I going to be nice to that person or not? Am I righteous or unrighteous? The world would say, yo, be a jerk back. Like, whatever, it's justified. But that doesn't hold up to our predetermined decision that Jesus was the parameter for righteousness, right? So when I, I, kids were calling me garbage, I was justified to tell them, by the world, to tell them, no, dude, you're trash, whatever. Um, but Jesus said during the Sermon on the Mount, one of his probably most famous teachings of all time, he said, if you get slapped in the face, this is paraphrasing, this is the Ben version, he said, if you get slapped in the face, offer the other cheek too. It's not always going to be fun, guys. That's a really hard thing. To be like, yeah, you know what? You just called me that, but do it again, man. I'll take it. That's not easy. Righteousness can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, too. We've got to be careful. Because when we seek righteousness, it's very easy to become self-righteous. 
and think that we're better than everyone else because we made the right choice there. So I'm obviously better than Jackson because I didn't do that to that person, right? But the most important thing to remember is other people's problems are not the same as yours. That doesn't mean they're not real. As Brett talked about last week, people have problems. Every single person in this room has their own problems. But I can't judge Jackson's problem and say, I would have done this because it's not mine. It's not mine, and I've never gone through that. So how, who am I to tell him how to react there? The Bible has to be the course for that in everybody's life. This was the exact thing that got the Pharisees in trouble. The Pharisees in the Bible were the old kind of religious leaders. They walked around in their full suits, and they were righteous, right? That's whatever that they thought. They were righteous because they were fulfilling the scriptures. Back in the time, they didn't have the New Testament. They were just referring to the Old Testament. They were scholars. They were the people that would lead this, and only the best of the best could make it in, right? And what happened? They crucified Jesus because they thought they were better than everyone else, and Jesus changed the status quo. He went in there and said, no, nobody's better than anybody. We're all sinners. We all fall short. And the Pharisees didn't like that. They didn't like what, he was, what Jesus was preaching and what he was doing because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. We can't be self-righteous. One thought I want you to sit on this week and kind of just pray about is, how can we expect God to bless us and give us the desires of our heart if all we do is blatantly disregard the call he's put on our life? That's kind of a rough statement. I don't want to bring the whole mood down, but how can I expect Jesus' blessings, God's blessings, to come into my life and be fulfilled if I just blatantly disregard everything he's, he does for me, right? If I'm unrighteous and do all these bad things and I'm not making the right choice and I'm not justified by Jesus, how can I expect him to use me if I'm blatantly just pushing him to the side, right? So real quick, promise they'll be quick. I have three points starting right now, but I promise they're quick. Maybe not, but I promise. So I have three real quick points. And they'll give us some insight on how to live righteously, okay? I encourage you, if you're taking notes, take these down. Um, They're quick, I promise, but I really believe these have the ability to change your life, okay? Point number one, surround yourself with the right people. I'm sure we've all probably heard this statement, tell me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you'll become or where where you'll end up, either one. Both of them can be true, Okay? That's a really true statement, and it can't be more true. That statement, especially today, the world is screaming, do what makes you feel good. Do what's happy. What makes you happy? Do all these things. Do all, say all those things. Go out with those friends because that looks like fun. That determines the, the, where you'll end up, guys. Kind of a hard statement, but especially today. In today's world, where happiness is viewed as the most important thing in life. And I'm not saying that's wrong, because I believe I want the best for every single person in here, and I know God does too. But there's way more fulfillment and way more happiness in living a life righteously that abides in Christ. Amen? You'll find a lot more fulfillment when you're you're living righteous and you're living for God when you're out doing what feels good temporarily and having fun. Something um, that stuck with me for a really long time that um, Pastor, uh, what's his name, 
Rich Wilkerson. He's the pastor of Voo Church in Florida. It's a massive, like, mega church. But he said, if you hang around the bad people and you keep getting hurt and you expect it to change and you don't go to Jesus, you're just going to go to another person and then bleed all over them from your last cut. Right? You can't expect people to be perfect, for one. That's a harsh reality, but none of us are perfect. It goes back to we have to base our righteousness on Jesus. And if I don't go to Jesus to heal all these wounds that I'm carrying, or all the, and not even physical wounds, but all these things that come after me, say, Jackson, I'm using you a lot because we work together now, but say Jackson calls me an idiot. <laughs> I can't hold that wound and then go call somebody else one. I got to go to Jesus and say, you know what? How do, I, how do I live righteously in that situation? How do I not even let that affect me and just forgive him before he even says it? Amen? The good part of this is I'm not saying go out and get a bunch of new friends, <laughs> okay? Unless they're doing bad things and they're trying to get you to do them, then I'll tell you to your face, get new friends, okay? Because I've been down that road and I know where it leads and it's not fun. It's way, way easier if you just start now. Surround yourself with the right people. And the really good thing about that is look around the room real quick. Every single person in this room will hang out with you on a moment's notice. Amen? It's really important to surround yourself with people that have similar goals as you. And that goal is just living for Jesus with everything you have. Amen? So, told you they're quick. Point two, read your Bible. Seems self-explanatory. Kind of is, <laughs> okay? We can't, first of all, one of the most important statements you might hear in this message is, you can't live by something you know nothing about. Amen? In order to live a righteous life, we need to get in the word of God, even if it's just for five minutes a day. Start somewhere. The Bible is the only book that I promise you, when you read it, it'll read you right back. Some of my lowest moments in life, I'll go and read the Bible and it feels like it's talking back to me, and it's, it's talking to my exact situation. It's crazy how that happens. God has power. The Word of God is powerful. Amen? When you read the Bible, it reads you back. I truly believe the Bible has the power to change your lives if we read it, study it, and hold it as our standard. Right? We hold it as truth. Point number three. Pray and follow through. My last point, excuse me, had a Red Bull earlier. It's not treating me well now. So <laughs> my last point is simply to pray. Ask God to help you live a righteous life. Ask him to strengthen you in times of temptation. One of the things I do when I'm feeling tempted, and it's the most powerful thing I can do, is I just put in headphones and listen to worship music. Man, I really want to go to that party. Man, I really want to go with those friends who are going to go do something dumb. But that temptation is temporary. And if you put in, your, put in your headphones, read your Bible, whatever you do to get in the presence of God, get in it. <laughs> It'll change your life. It may even redirect your life from where it's at with one simple choice. Choose Jesus. Prayer is just a conversation between you and the creator of the universe. How cool is that? All you have to do is go, hey, what's good, God? Um... You don't have to go to him all formal and speak in King James English and go these and thous. All you have to do is talk to him like a homie. 
you have to talk to him. You have to put on the full armor of God. You don't have to put on a full suit and tie and go, dear God, bless thou and thy family. Like, you don't have to do that. You can do that. If that's how you talk, run it. I don't care. But I'm just saying that's not needed. All you have to do, and Jesus says, come boldly to the throne of God and ask him. It can be as simple as, God, help me to be righteous. I can't do this on my own. Give me the strength to overcome this temptation because I can't do it. Amen. That's as simple as it has to be. Now, that's one part of it. So after you pray, that's all great. And praying is probably one of, if not the most important weapon that we have on earth is prayer. Right? But after you pray, follow through with it. It's one thing to pray to God. It's maybe our biggest weapon. But prayer doesn't mean anything when we do it and then don't follow through with what we're praying for. Amen? It's one thing to pray to God, God, help me to overcome this temptation. Help me not to go to this party. And then two seconds later, you're like, deuces, I'm going to this party later. Like, that doesn't help you at all, and that doesn't, you're not living an integrous life at that point. You're just doing whatever you feel, and we're fallen by nature. So most of the time, our choice is unrighteous. Amen? If we ask God, if we pray asking God to help us and then just ignore the help, the prayer really meant nothing in the first place. It's a hard truth, but living righteously is painful. It's not easy, but I promise you it's worth it. God will give you the strength. If you seek him with everything you have, you will, you will be rewarded in heaven. Amen? A scripture I want to leave you with really quick. If you're taking notes, I'll just write this down. It doesn't have a slide but I'll just write this one down because it's comforted me throughout years. It's two little verses. It's Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. And it's Jesus, and he, Jesus speaking, and he just says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, For everyone who asks, receives. And the, ones who, the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Think about the power we have that we're just not tapping into. If all I have to do is knock on Jesus' door and he'll open it every time, that's something I can get behind. (laughs) That's something worth living your life for. If you're in a tough spot and all you have to do is knock on the door, I'll take that every time. Life's hard, guys. I don't want to be stuck just knocking on empty doors, knocking on, oh, I'm going to go to this party. Oh, nothing answered here. Oh, I'm going to go hang out with these friends. Oh, nobody answered at this door. When all I have to do is knock on Jesus' door and he'll answer? I'll take that every time. Because true fulfillment comes from living in a life of Christ. Amen? God promises if we seek him, he'll reveal himself. We just have to make the first move. God's a gentleman, guys. He's not going to force himself on you. He's not going to break down the door of your life unless you're willing to receive it. He can show you all the signs and wonders you want, but if you don't believe it and seek him, you won't believe it. I've been there. I've been there personally. So I'm done for the most part. (laughs) It's always I'm done, but never actually. So (laughs) I just want to take a second. If everyone would just bow their heads real quick. Nobody's looking around. Just me, you, and God. And I just want to give a chance for those who may have been convicted by something that was said maybe Jesus is speaking to you and he said 
man, I, you, I gotta live a little bit more of a righteous life. I gotta make the right decisions. I gotta not be a jerk to people. My hands up. <laughs> I, I don't wanna be a jerk to people. If you're feeling like that kind of way, just r- lift your hand real quick. Amen. Amen. All right, I'll say a quick prayer everyone, over everyone. Dear God, you see the hands that are raised tonight. I pray that you would just come into all of their lives with your power and your presence, God. Overflow them with your love and that you would just intervene in all their situations and help them make the righteous choice. God, I pray that you would help them to equip the breastplate of righteousness everywhere they go, that they would not forget it, that they would not leave it at home, but God, you would just put it around them at all times. I pray that when they pray to you, God, that you would just answer and fill them with strength to overcome temptation. I pray that you just pour your spirit out on everybody in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.